Old Man Winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice and a good polar vortex. Oh, <laughs> heaven. Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, Old Man Winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1,500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details. Celebrate and save at Ashley's Anniversary Sale. With Hot Buys, your choice of color starting at just $3.99. Ashley Sleep Mattresses starting at $2.50. Plus, receive a free adjustable base with select mattress purchases. And shop top mattress brands like Stearns & Foster, Tempur-Pedic, Purple, and Beautyrest Black with 60-month special financing only at Ashley. Subject to credit approval. No minimum purchase required. Minimum monthly payment, down payment, tax, and delivery may be required. See store for details. Let Tend Dental make your dream smile a reality. We offer a variety of top-rated treatments, including Invisalign aligners. And for a limited time, Tend is offering $750 off orthodontic treatments. Offer valid through January 31st, so don't wait. Visit hellotend.com sale. That's hellotend.com sale. And book your free consult today. It's time to take command with former NFL tight end Logan Paulson and former Commander's Beat reporter Craig Hoffman. Take Command podcast from Odyssey Sports. That's Logan Paulson. I am Craig Hoffman. And, uh, well, this isn't the podcast we wanted to do, Logan. No, it's not. Definitely not the podcast we want to do. You know, I think, you know, you you talked about, like, is this going to be embarrassing, whatever, and... This is not the one we want to do for sure. So yeah, uh, for those that missed uh, the show yesterday, uh, the radio show, and then ultimately the pregame radio show, I said like if they lose this game, it's embarrassing, and it was a little bit of a bit. Um, and you said like there is a way where they lose and it's not embarrassing, but like the way they lost is pretty embarrassing. They gave up forty yeah. points uh, to a team that had not won in fourteen games. Um, they gave up. There's so many stats from this one, Logan. Yeah. I mean, they gave up. 40 points to a team that had one wide receiver with a catch. Uh, it yeah. was literally the DJ Moore show, show uh, Cole Komet, mm-hmm. Robert Tunyon, the only two receivers, are uh, both tight ends, obviously, but the only two uh, pass catchers to catch balls outside of DJ Moore. Uh, offensively, they were really bad in the first half, although I think there's some encouraging stuff in the second half, but yeah. that's also a pattern that we should probably talk about. It's mm-hmm. not the first time, uh, and certainly we'd love for it to be the last. Um, but as you're making the long drive home very late last night, yeah. like the highest level thought of that game is what? <laughs> highest level thought of the game. Um, good question. For me, I think I think this is a this is a tough loss, obviously, for the team. It's a tough loss loss because I think you're playing an opponent that's like trying to figure themselves out. Now, I want to say that this game was going to be dangerous for this team, kind of regardless. It was a short week against the team that does a lot of different stuff novel stuff offensively so the prep in a short week in terms of owning the game plan was always going to be challenging i think yep. when you look at the stuff that dj moore did i you know there's a couple of those where you're kind of like and i wish i could have watched all of them before the show there just wasn't time uh but you know there's the the one that forbes is going for the football and it's just past his fingertips it ends up being like a 56 yard gain there's the one at the end of the game where it's third and two and fuller's trying to knock the ball out Kendall quite... literally gets a hand on it what are you going to do yeah and so i'm kind of like those you know, if, if though that's like inches where that defensive approach or that defensive philosophy, you know, were successful, like to my eye, like in terms of tight coverages, the quarterback makes an excellent throw, the receiver makes an excellent catch, and they lead to explosive plays because DJ Moore is an explosive football player. And like we talked about his ability to create explosive plays and how when you watch the Denver game last week, um, he was able to do that pretty consistently, like make tough catches and find ways to get, you know, make that offense go. So I, I just I think I look at the defensive back group and I'm like, you know, it'd be interesting again to go back and watch the all 22. But 
I'm sure like they would tell you that's got to be better, you know, and like the decisions and when to kind of take those chances have to be better. You know, like the one with Forbes, I think it was a third and eight. And I think he's going to tackle him right at the sticks. It's like or right before the sticks. It's like maybe just tackle the tackle the ball carrier there. We'll have yeah. to play another down. And I think one of the the, the tenants of this Shaq Del Rio defense is bend but don't break. Kind of be consistent in terms of don't giving up big plays. And over the last two weeks, that's been – or last two games, excuse me, that has just not been in the DNA. Like when this defense is at its best, I think about how they were in the first half of the Buffalo game where they're everything's in front of them, they're tackling well, they're making teams go the length of the field. And the Buffalo game had explosive plays – but I think that you got a result there that you were looking for. And even the first half of the Philly game where you're kind of like, man, this is exactly what they want. And then all of a sudden there's this, this explosion of, of explosive plays in the second half. Same thing with Chicago. So that is my high-level thought defensively. Um, and also I just felt like for the defensive line, I know they weren't overly effective. I think the thing that stood out to me is like just they looked tired to me, you know, and like just yeah. how, much of, how much of their soul did they pour out in that Philly game. And I kept going back to that when I was watching, you know, like – the DBs look tired, um, but the the defensive line, man, I just thought, like, they are getting worn out. I thought the kudos to Chicago. They did a great job in those third and one, third, uh, fourth and one situations with the quarterback sneak, not letting the defense get set, just saying, hey, this is our plan on third and short. We're just going to quarterback sneak the football, give ourselves another set of downs. Great job by then, and it felt like this kind of inevitable wave, like a tsunami just crashing over the beach, and – there just wasn't enough physical juice in that front to kind of counter it. And, you know, they're playing on a short week too, and I get it, but I do feel like that overtime game in conjunction with the quality of the opponent in Philadelphia, the divisional game, just kind of physically and emotionally, that group looks spent to me. And, you know, offensively, um, I said this on the post game show and I probably got a little bit of heat for it, but I think you got a young quarterback, young receiver, young running back, young offensive lineman who are still trying to figure out their plan for Thursday night football, quite honestly, in terms of preparation. We mentioned that on the show pregame and in the game, I was like, they just don't look settled. And it took a half of football. And again, they weren't on the field a ton. I think they had 15 offensive plays in the first half or something yeah, I mean, like that. It, the, the first half stats are incredible in terms of yeah. like, they gave up over 300 yards and had less than 60. It was like 307 to 56 or something yeah. like that at and, halftime in terms of total yardage. And this team, you know, while they have dynamic playmakers, it's not it's like kind of <clears throat> it's kind of the antithesis of Chicago, which is feast or famine. It's like there's this kind of middle of the road production with this offense that I find really interesting considering that it's coming from Kansas City and they throw the ball so much, but it's really when they're converting on third down and when they're staying on the football field, which is not, again, not great football analysis. And we always joke about that. But when they are when they can convert on third down, when they can find these 15-yard chunk plays in a drive, that's when they're at their best. And so if you miss one of those, and which they did a little bit in the first half. They did. They, they missed two or three of them. I mean, the, there's a shot to Diami's open. And I don't know whether that's a little bit of a bad throw by Sam or Diami Gator armed it. Or like, e obviously, either one yeah, could have been right. a little bit better. I feel like Diami short-armed it a little bit, but it also wasn't perfect. Um, that's a touchdown. Uh, there was one more that I'm now blanking on, but I remember like I just I just rewatched it, uh, the condensed version real quick before we recorded this morning. And there's there's another one too where it's like as bad as the defense played, if the offense literally makes two plays, yes, it's a much different game at halftime. Yeah, I think that's I think that's it, and I think that's the, so frustrating about it's. It was last week. It was frustrating with the defense in terms of if they make two more plays, this game isn't even close. And here, offensively, if they can convert on these third downs, which is the nature of football in the NFL, like right. you'll see offenses go through dry spells where they're having a hard time converting or they can't find the explosive play. And this, and it's again, it's it's not nuance. It's it's high level, but con explosive plays and first downs, possessing the football are the keys to good offensive production. And and that was not what they did in the first half. And then when you get out in the second half, the offense looks like a different group because they're on the field, they're extending drives, they're making plays, they're making tough catches. Love what Sam Howell did. Love the competitiveness. You know, love the competitiveness of the offensive line. There's a lot of good things to draw from that offensive performance. It just comes two quarters into the game, and that's tough. Right. Man. And that's that's happened uh, too many times this year. Um, the Commanders, this uh, according to Nathan Janky Janky. Sorry, Nathan, I don't know how to pronounce your last name from Pro Football Focus. Uh, and saying Nathan Janky makes him sound fake. So, uh, yeah, old does, Nate uh, from PFF says the Commanders dropped back to pass fifty-five straight times without a designed run tonight, from eight forty-nine in the second quarter until the end of the game. That is the most for a team in game that PFF has data for 
back to 2006. So um, like they did find a way to move the ball, obviously completely through the air. I thought it was, they took too long to get to the screen game. Like the first play of the second half uh, or that first big play, the second half, they get the screen, um, you know, and, and that kind of unlocks the offense. You know, I I do think that at times in the second half, like they could have been a little bit more patient running it, but like all that stuff is secondary to me, Logan, to what's happening on defense. Like we, we can and should talk about the offense. And I think the offense is going to be interesting to talk about of how to continue to tweak it, make it better. There's some things I would love to talk about with Sam. That's probably better suited for the film review podcast. Sure. But Mm -hmm. for right now, this defense is on a historic pace and not a good one. Like yeah. They are on pace, and shout out to Mitch Tischler, uh, Beltway Football Podcast, for for tweeting this out last night. They are on pace, Logan, to give up 544 points this season, which would be an NFL record mm-hmm. by like double digits. It's it's horrendous, and yeah. unlike unlike I think the last couple of weeks where you're like, damn it, they are playing well down in down out, yeah. and then there's these big plays that betray them. This was bad ball through and through. And yes, there are big plays on top of the bad ball. This was genuinely bad ball through and through. And I think that part of it is execution, obviously, like good plan. I mean, Chase Young, I believe, or Montez Sweat, one of those two guys said after the game, like, this isn't on Jack Del Rio. He called a good game plan. We didn't execute. Good for them. And and like, good for them for taking it on the chin. I don't know that that's remotely accurate. Um, and there, you know, you can ha- game plan versus like general approach and getting through to your players. Like, we'll talk about it, but like part of it's clearly execution, but part of it is like a lack of understanding. And this to me goes to Jack and it goes to Ron of being able to get through to the players, what it is you want to do from your highest level approach. We would like to keep everything in front of us and not yep. give up big plays. And on the back end right now, whether it's Forbes gambling after stuff fuller, I don't even like. Fuller got mossed by yeah, well, DJ Moore on that also, sick play in the back of the end zone. Yeah. He gets his hand on that other ball late in the game when you're trying to make a play. Like to me, that's kind of like the Forbes play last week that I don't fault him for. Yeah. But the, the safety play in this game from Forrest and Butler was bad. Forbes obviously gives up a bunch of stuff and it comes from an inability to keep the ball in front, ta- rally, tackle, and make a team, especially like the Bears, who we said all week is not really capable of earning it, earn it. And they just didn't do it. At all, yeah. at any point in the game. No, I mean, I, I agree. I think some of those early plays, you know, with the safety specifically, like this, say what you want about this offense, but one of the problems with a running quarterback is the safety has to kind of be aware of the fit. And I haven't, I had to listen to it on the radio. First off, listening to the call by Julie Bram and, and London, you could hear the air go out of the stadium during that call. But like, it was just, you could feel kind of like, oh no, here we go. And when you get to the stadium and watch the game, it's just like, oh my goodness, this is, this is rough. And, it's rough, man. It was it was a rough performance. And I and I think there's this, you know, in the postgame show, we're standing there and fans are screaming to fire Jack Del Rio. They're going crazy. And in a game like this, it's not all on Jack. It's not all on the players. It's a it's a it's a combined effort. Of when you guys. give up 40, it's everybody, it's man. It's everybody, man. And I like to your point, I think you bring up a great point there. Like after the bolt the, the Buffalo game, I was like, this is fine. Like they played well enough to win this football game. The offensive let them down. The offense let them down. Even after Philly, to a certain extent, it was like, man, they did so many good things outside like ten, of like... Mostly 10 guys had a good game, and Forrest yeah. just had a rough one. And, and yeah. some of it was like bad job by him. Some of it was like he was on the wrong end of great stuff. Yeah, and I, and so then you say, okay, well, that's that's tough. Um, <laughs> that's tough. And, and then this game, it just felt like nobody was doing what they were supposed to do when they were supposed to do it. And I've been on offensive games like that in my career, and it's terrible. Uh, you know that old, like, I don't know if you've seen Replacements, Craig, where he talks yeah. about quicksand? Like, literally everything you try and do just seems to get worse, just seems to make things worse. That's kind of how the offense looked in the Buffalo game. Everything they did, any, any like, little positive hint was then complemented with an interception or a holding call or whatever, and that's kind of what this defense felt like. And so as much as people want to get on Jack, and I think they're – a, a good amount of criticism should be levied toward Jack. Ultimately, you're the DC. Like the buck stops with you. Like this game is is more. It's about more than that. I look at those two third and sevens that they got in the first half, where they're running. They're not running a draw. They're just running duo from offset gun. And the defensive tackles think it's a pass rush situation. They run out of there. You get a nice little stutter move by the back to get the tackle to jump inside, and it's a it's a first down. And that's just that's just 
poor, you know, like that's, and I understand the situation It's third and seven, you want to rush the passer, but also like being aware that the other, the other coach knows like what you're trying to do and what you're trying to get after, I think is it's tough. It, it was, it was a tough game to watch from a defensive standpoint in the post game, you know, we were talking and it's just like, there was nothing, there's like nothing positive to say. I mean, I, I don't want to be Ch overly yeah, like, yeah. I mean, <laughs> if you want to say something positive, Chase looks great. Yeah, um, athletically awesome. like and yeah. he, he looks like he's getting a little bit more into the rhythm every game and like that's encouraging that's great Duran still pretty much looks like yeah. Duran, although he hasn't gotten as much pass rush pressure um montez flashed a couple times but like that's kind of it and then it's like you say well saint juice had that nice pbu in the end zone which maybe is a pi but like good for him on right. that play jamin's still like there's times where jamin flashes but it's it's too the the, the 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 organism as a whole just wasn't there and like i don't i'm not talking bad about individual players i'm not talking bad about coaches but ultimately like that's just something that that needs to be better and the only thing i can think the only thing i can think that leads to that is just the the philly game just weighed on them a little heavy they came out really flat they didn't really understand like what the intent was of the game plan in the short week and this is what happened. And this is one of the reasons I think Thursday night football ha leads to these results sometimes is because I think physically it's hard to get ready on a short week, especially after a physical football game. And then mentally, I think especially for the Bears, because of what they present offensively, it leads to kind of this like a guy's not guys out there playing hard, but not really knowing. And on defense, you got to know you can't be in between and you got to know what we're trying to do. And I felt like there was a little bit. Like that, that wasn't, that wasn't there. And I'm not trying to make excuses. I'm just trying to understand why this game right, feels right. like an outlier from the rest of the season, quite frankly, you know? Right. So. I mean, and, and on some levels it is on some levels it isn't right. Like the, at the end of the day, result is actually not an outlier. Like they've yeah. given up 33 or more in four of the five games. This is who they are defensively. They have not fixed the big play problem. And at some point you go, you stop going if they could just fix the big plays, they'd be all right to go like, nope, we've got a big play problem. Yeah, and yeah. what it, like different time to change some stuff up to, to fix it. Passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance from superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has got you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new car. Like a legendary Camry, built for performance and available with all-wheel drive, you can count on your new Camry to get anywhere you need to go. And with available features like heated seats and a multimedia touchscreen, you can stay connected in comfort and style. Or check out an affordable and reliable Corolla with a trim for every lifestyle. From the hip and agile sedan to the sporty hatchback, there's a dependable Corolla built just for you. Plus, both Camrys and Corollas are available in hybrid models. So no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and affordably. And right now, your local Toyota dealer has more vehicles in stock and is making delivery on new vehicles almost every day. So visit your local Toyota dealer. And check out amazing national sales event deals on Camrys, Corollas, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. Offers end April 1st. Toyota, let's go places. Hey, it's Greg Hoffman from Take Command. It's not just a podcast. It's the 25th hour of your debt. Your weekly source for all things commanders, right on time, your time. A list of household chores. Do them without missing a beat and listen while you work. In the car, turn mundane drives into memorable moments. With podcasts, you can maximize productivity and minimize FOMO. We're on demand, so we fit perfectly into your schedule. Follow Take Command in the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. I think, I think we're fans get at this point through five games rightfully frustrated is a lot of these problems were predictable and 
to, to me to come out of last year, I'll tell you it, specific to one position, exactly what I mean. Okay. Coming out of last year, there was like unanimous agreement. You got to do something big at linebacker. Like that wasn't good enough. Um, and that was Jack and Ron after the season. That was not like yeah. fans. Right. And then what do they do? Nothing outside of signing a guy who was a backup in Seattle and Cody Barton. And it's not Cody Barton's fault that he's Cody Barton. And so far that hasn't worked out. Like they, they thought that Cody could be more than he has been. Mm -hmm. um, they may, and maybe he can be with time, but like that, this is the NFL. There is no time. Like it's only a yeah. 17 game season. And so, you know, to say like, Oh, if he's in this defense for another year, let's see what he is next year. Like you ain't going to be here next year. If this is what the results are. Um, and neither will he, frankly, like, and that's, that's not me being like harsh and critical. That's just like acknowledging the reality of the, the speed of the business of the NFL this is this stuff is hard. It's really, really yeah. hard. And so the level to which you have to perform is extremely high. And I think for linebacker, for instance, that's that's frustrating. I think on the offensive side of the ball, the O line, like same thing. Like this, this is what you're putting out there. And do you have those? I, I, think, I, I just qu I quickly glanced at it last night after the game, and yeah. I don't know how PFF gets these up last night. But first off, the grade for the O line, the pass blocking grade, the general pass blocking grade was like in the high 60s, which is a pretty good grade for the offensive. I don't know if they've readjusted that, but one of the things I want to just, again, the linebacker thing. Yeah. The thing about the linebackers, and, I, and I've and i we've talked about this on the show, I think my position on linebacker is really well established at this point. That, it, that should be your third best position. That should be your least valuable position in terms of investment because you've got all this first-round draft capital in the O-line. That group should go. That group should be able to hide anything you have in the linebacker spot, and then you have enough good young safeties that you shouldn't be in you know your 4-2 base that much the cam curls the percy butlers the forests the quans should be on the field more i think and so when i well, when, when people right. are when people are critical of the linebackers and i know you're not being you're you're, you're making an observation about the position and i would say mm -hmm. that i i'm actually in terms of roster construction like if we're looking at the pff board in terms of overall grades i want greens on the d-line i want greens in the back end and i don't care if we have yellows at the linebacker because that well, position, the problem is that like linebackers been red no and i and i'm with you and i'm not saying yeah. but i but what i am but I, what i would kind of say to that is are they red because the are they red because the defensive line isn't playing to the level that we thought they would be playing to over the last right. two or three weeks and that's something that I love those guys. They play hard. John Allen, you know, now the all-time leader in sacks for defensive tackles for the organization. Great. Couldn't happen to a better guy. But that group, down in and down out, I don't think has is, is exhibited or shown the dominance we were expecting. And they there are there are reasons for that. You know, they're playing Josh Allen. They're worried about scrambling. They're paling Jan Hurts. They're worried about scrambling. They're playing Justin Fields. They're for sure worried about scrambling. It makes you less effective. I, I don't care what, what fans say. Like, when you're playing a, a scrambling quarterback, it makes the rush, the pass rush less effective. And so I look at that and I say, and, and also the, the game plan that the, the bears, the Philadelphia Eagles and the bills brought out to kind of, to, to fight this group, I think is, is, is like, also a reason why they're less effective, but yes. Yeah, go ahead. That, that, I mean, that's, that's good job by them, but like, you know, we, we can say those guys yeah. get paid too, but our, like our guys are getting paid. Yeah. And like, like, so, What's the what's the plan to counter that? Like you, you got to have a plan for the plan, like or you have to be too good for the plan. And like when you've got that kind of investment, I think this is ultimately the frustration with Del Rio for a lot of fans and, and his defense in general. And it obviously gets channeled by fans directly. Like you want to blame someone. So for a lot of people, yeah. it's Jack. Um, and we can look at kind of the plan and, and everything more on the film review pod and have a better sense of of game plan versus yeah. execution versus, you know, all that kind of stuff. But they've got so much investment in that side of the ball in the areas that you'd like. Like they've got yeah. a very, I think they have the highest cap skew towards one side of the ball in the league and it's on their defense. Oh, really? Uh, yeah. And like four first round picks up front, another one in the secondary who you benched last night in Emmanuel Forbes. Like they've got a ton invested in that side of the ball and they have not gotten results. And it's the second straight year they've started like this. Um, Del Rio was on super thin ice at this point last year. Yeah. Um, and kind of the Chicago game last year, week six is what turned it around. Uh, and they hit a, a nice run in the middle of the season. Um, but at the end of the day, like this is not good enough for the level of talent and investment. And you've got to like, that's the side that should be carrying yeah. this team. And instead they've largely been the dead weight. Um, I know yeah. the Buffalo game is, is obviously the exception there. 
Um, but they've largely been the ones dragging the offense down and not the other way around. And, um, you know, well, the offense has its issues and a lot of that, that can be contributed to them having a young quarterback, um, defensively, like, are there young players? Yeah, but every team has young players. That's yeah. the way the league has gone with the way the CBA is. Like, it's just more valuable to yeah. have guys on rookie contracts. So how do you win? And and this is, you know, Jack's been around a long time. Maybe this is one of those things that as time has shifted, he hasn't quite adjusted to coaching. And this goes to the slow starts, not just this season, but like season Ooh. after season. Do you shift your coaching to be able to get guys ready for week one? Right. Do you get guys that are younger? And, and this is this is me spitballing. I've never thought of this theory before. It's hitting me right now. So right, consider yeah. this a half-baked idea. But like this has happened year after year after year. And when you go looking for explanations, when you're a guy who's been coaching for this long and used to have a lot more veterans, now you're playing with a lot more young guys. Like, have you made those adaptations and adjustments? And the results so far would say no and if it's not that theory then it's no to some other theory that needs to be solved expeditiously otherwise this is going to be a lost season very quickly yeah i mean i don't know it's it's tough to kind of figure out exactly what's going on with the defense because i think when you look at training camp when you look at the off season even when you look at the baltimore practice quite honestly like you see a group that's been pretty consistent you know like in terms of prep like i was like man this group's gonna we talked about the show you know, like they're going to be ready to go. Defensive line looks great. And I think, for you know, I think on the whole, they look good even now. Like we talked about some of the players that flashed last night. You mentioned Montez, you mentioned Chase. Like there are, they did that in training camp. I think the thing that's been the most surprising is the secondary. You know, like they looked so sharp in training camp. Like they he looked did. so ready to go. And then all of a sudden, you know, it, it kind of is – it's built on shaky ground and for whatever reason they don't they're not as dialed in in the back end and they're not matching stuff off not passing stuff i don't know if they've changed kind of their coverage perspective i don't know if when you play a team that's going to run well, i mean one thing that's worth mentioning is chris harris isn't here anymore that is and true is the guy I mean, that is true and i think they have they you know not to not to diminish chris harris they do have some bright guys in, in that room that are doing a good job coaching and again like they when when chris harris left that was a big concern but through training camp, there was nothing that said like, oh, this is going to be bad. You know, like this, this looks like it's right. going to be awesome. Maybe this new coach is speaking to them in a different way and is taking and building on what Chris Harris built. And then we get here and I mean, I don't want to say I really think just kind of a thousand foot view. I look at the Philly game. I see a lot of explosive plays given up by Forbes and a guy who's maturing and developing. And then in this game, I see a lot of plays given up by Forbes, explosive plays, right? He misses the the tip ball on one. He doesn't tackle DJ Moore on one of those. Is that the, Am I thinking of the right play? Like where he kind of is trying to get him to the ground, doesn't get yeah. him to the ground, and DJ Moore scampers, scampers off. Up the sideline. Yeah. And that's probably 95 yards of receiving right there just for him. You know, and you're just kind of like early in a game when you're a, a group that's, again, a little bit fatigued. You know, you're coming in a short week. Those are plays that have – an, an outsized impact i would say yeah early in the game you know because you're all of a sudden you're on your heels jack kind of can't get into the rhythm as a play caller and it's tough and i'm and i'm not absolving jack i think you know like i said ultimately he's the dc like buck stops with him like what right. are you doing to correct this but i also believe as a player i believe this emphatically we got to play better you know like the every defensive call has answers i'm sure like every offensive call should be a touchdown if we execute correctly every defensive call has answers versus the concepts they saw last night. It wasn't like they were running anything crazy. Like they ran hitches a couple times. They ran a, a go takeoff, which again, I'd have to watch that again, but I felt like Benjamin Shade juice is in perfect position for the dig. And then it ends up being a dig takeoff and he can't make the play on, on, on more. And so I just look at that kind of stuff and I'm like, man, you know, what are the techniques they're supposed to be playing? Are they, are they, are they passing stuff off in the back end correctly? Is that stuff getting communicated to them? Like th- last night was a, was i don't want to say like a full I, i'm not i hate being alarmist i'm not being hot takey but it was i mean they, it, they gave up 40 to the bears like it, it is it, what it is there was not it just was it was so far from the sharp crisp group we saw this offseason and i think that's the thing that i don't really understand and yeah is that again is that the fatigue is that a young guy having a tough game is i'm sure that that's that that, that factors in is it the short week is it the high of philly coming down to the bears are we not playing to the the, the we're playing we, we talked about this on the pregame show like playing to the level of your competition like can you not do that and they for sure did that 
And the Bears came out and said, you know what? Like we are starting to figure out who we are offensively and we're yeah. going to, we're going to make your role for it. And I think that the one group had a very clear vision of who they were, the Chicago offense. And one group seemed like they were kind of in between, like there was a little bit more match than I was expecting from Jack. You know, I thought they'd kind of get in a lot of zone. There's a little more match coverage and it leads to some of these explosive plays. And that's a coverage they've been really good at this year, but all of a sudden, less effective in this game because I, I'm sure the running quarterback affects rules and how you fit runs and how you match the extra man in the box. So lots of things to look at and that's stuff we can get into on the film review, but it, yeah, it was, it was very, it was a very, I, I just, I've, I feel bad for the guys. I feel bad for the players and I, because no one wants to go out and have that kind of performance. And I feel bad for the coaching staff because it was a, it was a total kind of systematic fall. Like even in the Broncos, even in the bills game with the offense, when we were kind of breaking down that film, you're like, oh man, they had three or four drives here that looked pretty good. And in the first half of that football game against the Bears, it was like there was there was I don't say nothing, but very little to be excited about. Then in the second half, they kind of come to life a little bit, but it's like too little, too late, and they still give up some explosive plays late in the game. So yeah, very tough. So the the thing that I would say to kind of summarize uh slash bring this all together, uh, especially on the defensive side, is like if you like fool me once it's on the players fool me twice. It's on the coaches kind of thing. Yeah. Um, and maybe twice is, is still too harsh, but at the end of the day, like if you keep going to the podium saying these guys aren't playing the techniques that we want, um, they got to play better type of deal. And obviously like, well, we got to do better. It, it's not phrased that way, but like the implication is, is like, Hey, we're giving them a great chance to succeed. Like they're just not doing the things we tell them that yeah. to me says something about you as a teacher. Um, and eventually yeah, I, that becomes a coach issue where it's like either you as and this is specific to Ron as the 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 head honcho of all things football in Washington, yeah. you selected them. So that's that it's either a player selection issue uh, or it's a coaching them issue because like these guys are obviously talented football players. They're talented athletes. And yes, do they make mistakes? Sure. But if you can't get them corrected efficiently as a coach at the NFL level, like eventually them continuing to make the same mistakes. And I think that's like the issue specifically with Forbes is and why he gets benched is you're making the same mistake over and over and over again. If you can't get that corrected, eventually that's not a reflection of the player. It is a reflection of the coach and their ability to get through to the players, whether it's because, you know, they've become the teacher in Charlie Brown and you're just zoning them out and the yeah. wah, 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 wah. Or they're just not effective teachers, which is, you know, we, we spent a little bit more time on that this offseason on the pod, which I, I think was fun of like one of the things that makes a great coach is are you a great teacher? And yeah. we talked about the positive end of that with EB and, you know, are we and this is me. I, I'm not asking this rhetorically. Like, are we seeing the negative side of that on the defensive side of the football right now? Do we have some guys in, that are maybe really bright football minds that know a lot of stuff that are not as effective teaching wise as say Chris Harris was. And thus some of the details are getting lost. I don't know. I'm not in the meeting rooms. You don't yeah. know either. You're not in the meeting rooms, but that's, that's as we try to gain understanding, right. And, yeah. and try to be as fair as possible. That is one of the possibilities that is, that is existing. And again, I, I would say this too, like there's a lot of responsibility that goes on the player, mm -hmm. the, the NFL, the, the environment's a little bit different. You know, it's, it's not like college or high school. It's a, it's, its own unique thing. And when a coach tells you something, tells you a new technique, tells you a new approach they want to take with the position, it's it's your responsibility. You're a professional now. It's not my job to kind of develop you. They, they I remember I had a coach tell me once, like, the NFL is not a developmental league because there's such a high volume of people coming in that can just do what we want you to do. And I think, like, it, it would be interesting. Again, we're not in the meetings where this is a little bit speculative and I don't like doing this. I'm just speaking off my own experience here. Right. Like there, there were guys that I played with who were really good football players, but they just didn't embrace the defensive or offensive philosophy of the, of the coordinator that we were with. And they just never became a good football player in that scheme because they were so stubborn about changing who they wanted to be. And I had a little bit of that. Honestly, this is like just speaking from experience. When I went to San Francisco, one of the things they had talked about is like, oh, we have changed our landmark for outside zone. And we need you to be wider with your hat. And I was like, you know, every time we run outside zone, you know, in, in Chicago or, or Washington after um, after Kyle left, like I would have to kind of grab it with my inside hand and then run and kind of pull that guy laterally because the back was cutting it up so quick. 
And he's like, we're not going to do that. And it was so incredibly hard for me as a seventh year player to embrace that new technique and kind of buy into it. And I don't think, I don't think I ever really, honestly, I don't think I ever really mastered it while I was there. I was there for a year, you know, and I, I hurt myself. I hurt the offense when I was in there, just looking back on it in retrospect. And I think there's a little bit of that going on with Forbes, I would assume, as I'm sure they've provided the technique, but it's something that it's new. It's novel, you know, and everyone says, oh, it's, he's been here since the off season, but shoot, I was in San Francisco for a year and I didn't pick up on that technique. I didn't pick up on that change. And so, um, and that's tough. That's tough for me to admit, but like looking at Forbes, like he's got to take some ownership. Like if, if this is the consistent feedback each and every week, we're not playing the correct techniques there as much as it's on the coach. And I, like you said, like there's different levels of communicator. The player has to say, I don't, I'm not doing it right. I got to do something different. Like one of my most proud memories of my career was a coach told me, Hey Logan, you need to get your second step down on, on, uh, on this triple block. And I was like, well, I don't get enough reps in practice. And he kind of was like, we don't have enough time to do more. And so I would stay, I would come out early. I would do the triple block footwork. I would stay late, do the triple block footwork. And eventually I became the best on the team at it. And it was one of the reasons I ended up playing a lot of football in 2012 and 2013 because of that, that commitment to getting better. And that was something that I had to make a decision to do. And so um, I look at these guys and I, again, it's so hard with young football players to understand the difference between college and high school. But it's probably coaching, a little bit of coaching. But also, I would say, is that player doing? And I'm, this is not a criticism of Forbes because I know yeah. he's. I know football is important to him. I know it. Like I've talked to him; he's dialed in. But yeah. really, kind of going the extra mile to say I can detail this at a professional level. Yeah, he's probably never had to do that before, and right. and so it's a you don't know what you don't know type of thing. You get here, and it's like, no, nah, dude, everybody's as good as you talent wise. Like you, if you want to really be special and get the most out of your talent, you do the next thing. I'm Tony Kornheiser. This is my show. My friends come on and you know them. We talk about the sports you care about, basketball now, golf, and the metronome of your life, baseball. Whether it's opening day, the big tournament, or one of the majors, we have the best to preview it and break down just what happened. And let's not forget the important stuff, the amount of daylight where I live, the importance of speedies, and the rankings of beach-style pizza. Listen on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. After that very rousing player-driven speech, uh, now we get to ask the very tough question. Um, and I hate to do this because I don't do this kind of stuff lightly, but like this is Nikki Javala wrote this as her lead in the Washington Post. Like this is the kind of game that gets people fired. Um, yeah. And we're certainly not going to get up here and advocate Nikki, for that. Nikki just swinging yeah. for the fences out the but gate. Like I mean, it I is. love Nikki. I love like Nikki. I will say this about Nikki: she's super well informed, she's super smart, and she has a good feel for that type of stuff. Like as a former yes. player, I don't really feel that. I'm just like, it's a game on to the next game. She's got a great feel for that. So if she's saying that I'm hundred percent, like I think right. there's a lot of truth there. I mean, you lose, I mean, you also got to think of how owners think, right? Um, yeah. And not that an ownership level type of firing would be Ron Rivera and not that Ron would go fire as defensive coordinator, for instance, without running it by the owner, probably first. Um, that's a pretty big deal. Um, but whatever, whatever the changes that, that could potentially get made. Like when you're under an extra microscope of national TV, yeah, that's the kind of stuff that happens. Um, and I think, I think that statistic you said earlier too, about they've lost, what was it? 14, the Bears they had lost 14 straight games and there's all kinds of other stats. I mean, actually I, I bookmarked a few things that were just like mind blowing to me. Um, the last time Washington, uh, this also from Nikki last time Washington led an opposing receiver amass at least 230 yards in a game was Bullet Bob Hayes, 1966. Uh, that game was actually a 31-30 win by the Cowboys. So that one was close. Whoa. Uh, uh, obviously, you have Magic uh, after the game tweeting, tonight the commanders played with no intensity or fire. We didn't compete in the first half and got down 27-3 heading into halftime. It was too big of a hole to climb out of, and that is why we ended up losing 42-20. Um and then, I mean, there was a tweet too. I don't know if you're not on Twitter, but I don't know if someone put this in front of you. Um, but Kime actually said, like, this is probably one of, if not the worst uh, game that I've been to. I'm trying to find the, the tweet from Kime John said that? real quick. Yeah, and, and Kime, Kime is, not, Kime... is not a negative. He's not that kind of guy. You know what I mean? He's going right. to tell you how he feels about it. That's That's intense, yeah. 
and he's been covering the team. I mean, we always kind of joke with him, but like the year after they won the last Super Bowl, uh, Kime got oh there. Maybe it's the Kime curse. No, I don't want to say yeah, that. I don't. No, I don't need that, that for for, uh, John. for John. Uh, but he said, you know, it's one of the worst games that he has ever covered, uh, and that's through all of the everything. And so, you know, when Nikki writes in the Washington Post, like this yeah. is the kind of game that gets people fired. Like those are the reasons why. Then you get to the, like, and fans want to fire everyone all the time. That's the nature of being a fan. Fan is short for fanatic. Don't ever yeah. forget it. But there is the the logistics of like, okay, let's say, let's say they do fire someone. Then what? And I think yeah. that's where this becomes a much harder decision and much more complicated than people realize. Like, could you move on from Jack Del Rio? Sure. Could you move on? And in some ways, and again, I'm not advocating for this, but like the logistics of moving on from Rivera. One, I, I almost feel comfortable, like, parsing out this hypothetical because i think there's zero percent chance that it happens yeah. josh harris has come in and said we're going to be patient like we're going to take our time this is very much an evaluation year yeah. and the evaluation is not going to be complete after five games there's things that that josh probably wants to learn and he's also going to try to set him up for success he might decide fairly quickly that rivera is not the guy long term but you're not going to do anything until it's after the season probably right. and you have your full pool of candidates but like, if you were to move on from Rivera, Bienemy gets elevated, and you go from there. He's the assistant head coach already. For Del Rio, like, there's not a next guy that's kind of in place, and that's why losing Chris Harris on top of what he brought as a defensive backs coach, like that was that's super painful. Um, and, and also, um, it's not the same defense that Ron installed in Carolina. So like, Ron in 2018, somewhat infamously, because it was being all being chronicled by, ironically, Amazon, um, because they had uh -huh. the, uh, the what oh, what are they called? All or nothing. Uh, it's kind of like uh, their really? in-season hard really? knocks version. Uh, so they like, they're chronicling that season and Eric Washington's defensive coordinator and Ron takes the play calling over and he starts getting way more involved in the defensive meetings and they play a little bit better for a stretch. And ultimately that still wasn't a very good season. Right. Uh, and Ron winds up getting fired the next year. But for him, it was like, okay, I'm going to take control because this is my defense. I know it. When Ron got hired here, he hired Jack and he let Del Rio install the defense. So it's, well, it's not like Ron doesn't know anything. You know this as well as anyone because you watch tape with Ron for the show every week. Yeah. Um, I don't know that he can truly just step in and call the defense if he wants to do that, whether he would, you know, move on from Del Rio or just like take that responsibility off his plate. So there's like, this is, and th this, by the way, is not a bunch of excuses. Um, it's just a reality that, like, the way this organization is set up right now is not to, it doesn't make it easy to make changes, yeah. but these are the kinds of results that ultimately typically lead to changes. So, I, I that's a lot of information. That's a lot of thoughts, Logan. Um, but that's kind of where we are. That's at least where I am with all of it. Yeah. I mean, has anybody, this is a good, this is a question I want to ask you and maybe we can look it up real quick. Has anybody on this defensive side of the football called plays before? Um, I don't believe so outside yeah. of Del Rio and Rivera. So I'll I mean, double check real quick. Yeah. So I think like when I look at that, people, people don't understand. I, I think uh, fans don't understand the impact of firing your coordinator mid season. They don't understand like what that means. And I'm trying to think if I've ever been on a team where that has happened, and I don't think I have. But the the way that would just shake the room on both sides of the ball would be crazy because you then you would get somebody who doesn't know the defense as well as Jack trying to call a Jack or trying to call the defense or trying to call some version of it. And it just – I'm not making excuses. I'm just saying, like, it becomes very, very challenging to kind of say, hey, this is now the guy that's going to be calling plays like last year we kind of ran into this with Scott Turner there was no guy that you felt could be elevated in season to call plays for Scott and part of the reason is because they didn't they, they haven't really built it that way like I look at um you know like when I was with Kyle in San Francisco one of the things I loved about the staff there is they had all of these guys who were super hungry and super ready for kind of the next step you know what I mean and if something were to happen to Kyle, like you felt like, oh, Mike McDaniel will call plays or um, uh, not Matt LaFleur. Matt LaFleur's brother would call plays and he became Mike, the OC. Yeah, yeah he would. He became, became the OC in New York for a year. Like they had all these young, really smart guys who were kind of like, oh, yeah, even even the defensive side of the ball with Robert Sala. You had, you know, um, D'Amico Ryan's in the building. You had all these guys who were very, very smart coaches who were kind of on this trajectory. And this this staff is not 
really built that same way. And I, that's not a criticism because there's a lot of staffs like that I played with in the NFL over the course of my 10 years that were built that way. Like they just didn't have that next guy that was going to be up and, and ready to rock and roll. So um, I, I just, I, I don't know what they would do quite honestly. And yeah. I don't think Ron is in a position um, where he could call it. He could call this defense. I mean, the last time he called plays, we said it was 2018. Like, yeah, 2018. So what is that? That's six, seven, seven years, six years ago, whatever it is. So yeah. like, that's just a long, a long time to not be doing it and not have practice at it. Cause there is a rhythm. There's a feel, there's all these different things. And, um, and it's, it's going to be tough. It's going to be tough to make that move midseason. If that if that's something that that people are talking about, it just it's really hard to do that. And I I think the hard part here for fans to distinguish, and it's hard for us to distill this as well, is what's the responsibility and culpability of the players and these techniques that they're referring to, and what's the culpability and responsibility of the coaches. I find that if a coach is coming out in the media, because usually they're pretty good about not doing this and being like, this guy is not doing what we want him to do, that is a huge like bang, like flash in your face saying like that is the issue. Because think about how many times you've had coaches like at, at a million press conferences just be like, oh, yeah, like, you know, we got to call a better game. We got to play yeah. better as a team. No one gets singled out individually. But for them to be like they're not doing what we want them to do is a is a pretty good indicator, in my opinion, that that needs to get corrected. And it goes back to the point we made earlier. It's like, well, are you teaching it effectively? Are they not learning it? And if that becomes its own kind of uh, you know, rat's nest of things to untangle as well. So, yeah. Um, the guy that I could most uh, suss out is potential, like has called plays somewhere and has been around the NFL a long time is Richard Rogers, um, senior defensive assistant. Yeah. So he's not exactly super high on staff. Uh, last time it looks like he called plays uh, was in the early 2000s. He was the DC at Holy Cross, mm. um, but he was with Ron forever and has held a bunch of different positions, but he's never been a DC in the NFL, but I assume he's called plays at the college level. Um, but yeah, that's, it's not, it's not great. The one thing that I would say, um, is like going even more macro with it. And this goes to the magic tweet, something that I never thought I'd say on this podcast, <laughs> but going to the magic Johnson tweet of like, do you feel like Jack is disconnected from the players? And that's something that Ron's going to have to look in the mirror and answer. And like, if that's the case, then it doesn't matter how, you know, like you just have to make a change, right? Because if, if what the DC is saying is really good, but it doesn't connect with the players, then it doesn't matter. And so like from a fire, a passion, a dedication, a readiness, like all the, the mental stuff beyond the techniques, like if that stuff isn't there, then you got to figure it out. And like, if there's no easy solution, like that's an indictment of Rivera on some level. And that's, yeah. that's like a larger conversation. We, can and we talked about that. We talked about that last year too. Like, right. With, we, with Scott. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And um, I think, uh, but yeah, but what I would say too, is like in this, and I, and I know this is going to sound like dismissive, but it's it's week five, you know, and, yeah. I, and like it's the and first two quarter. And three. It's, it's the first, not the end of the world. It's the first quarter of the year. And I, I've been a part of teams. I've seen teams like you've seen teams that have been me like mediocre. And there's a lot of issues that need to be corrected. And then all of a sudden they come out in that second quarter and they go three and one. It's like, OK, well, that's much better than we thought we'd be. You know, and now you're in in a position to kind of make a push for those last two quarters and you're ready to rock and roll. And when you look at the schedule for the next couple quarters, it. I think what do they got? They got uh, Atlanta, Atlanta next. next, which and could. I mean, man, could you imagine if this team feels like it's on the edge, and then Taylor Heineke's the, the starting quarterback on the other side? What yeah. Kind of, what kind of narratives that's going to be? Ooh, buddy. Yeah, yeah. and so I, I do think there's two winnable football games coming up, and you could write this ship, you know, in two weeks, and we can be talking about a totally different thing. I think this. I think this kind of mini bye week comes at a really good time, honestly. Because I think it allows yes. the, the staff. Because like, I think that's something fans understand is like in the season, it's really hard to kind of say, let's do a self scout because your 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 week is so tight. You know, it's so regimented, and we got to get this in, we got to get third down ready, we got to get red zone ready, whatever we're doing. And now I can kind of take a step back if I'm Jack, if I'm EB, and be like, man, you know, we are throwing the ball a, a ton on second and ten. What? How, how can I make that so that's less of a thing? You know what I'm saying? And just uh, uh, this is a good time for that. Right before the second quarter, let's get a little reevaluation, a little self-scout in, and hopefully we can get some of this stuff corrected. Because, again, to your point, like maybe the techniques you're trying to coach with these young guys, maybe just don't call that that coverage structure anymore. Maybe it's like, hey, man, we're a much better um, cover six team, so let's call more cover six because they're better at that. And right. it's, it's hard in the moment to see that. I mean, I, I had to do that at the high school. Like that was a big lift for me because I was like, I really want to do this. And then I realized, like, you're like, we stink at this. We're not good we at this. We should do that. So we should do that. 
And right. it, it, it didn't happen. It, it didn't happen over the course of one game. It took three games for me to kind of be like, okay, that needs to change. That needs to be different. We need to coach this different. We need to kind of allocate our practice time different. And so, um, I, I, again, I think this is a good time to kind of get the ship in order, make the corrections you need to make, and then make a push here in the in the second quarter of the season. So, as yeah. much as it feels like the, the whole thing's on fire, I think like I didn't have them as two and three. I think I think I was talking to Kime. He was like, if they're two and three, I feel pretty good about it coming out of the first quarter. This was like way back, you know, when the schedule first came out. And I don't, I think that still holds true. I think some of these losses are messy and ugly or whatever, but I, I, you're in a good spot. We just got to kind of capitalize on this kind of medium position and make sure it's a better position coming out of the second quarter. No doubt. And I do think they are exhausted. You know, when we were texting early in the game last night, you were like, man, that Philly game is wearing on them, which you obviously said earlier in this yeah. podcast as well. Like it, it, listening to Terry talk after the game. I, I mean, I said it when I, I heard Rivera and Sam earlier this week, like they sounded exhausted at the podium. So yeah. I think if you want to be an optimist, we'll, we'll end on a high note. Yeah. Um, didn't think I'd do that this morning, but we're going to try it. <laughs> we're going to end on I mean, a high we, note. I think we've done a lot of, a lot of shit lifting here. You know what I mean? So like, this can be a, this can be like a little bit of a little star in the sky. Little little star. You're, you're, if you want to have a, a peak of optimism, a light at the end of the tunnel, you do get to rest. You do get to reset. And maybe this is more of a Thursday night fluky performance against a funky team to prepare for coming off of a brutal overtime loss against a super physical football team. And a reset it will be good. Yeah. Or that lights a train in this season. Is be bad. <laughs> uh, that's Logan Paulson. I'm Craig Hoffman. Thanks for listening to Take Command. Uh, if you have not already, please subscribe on your favorite podcast platform, whether that is Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the free Odyssey app, or if you're a, a podcast watcher on YouTube at 1067 The Fan. Also post highlights on my page at Craig Hoffman. Uh, we will see you guys for the film review next week. We record that Tuesday mornings. Typically comes out Wednesday morning in your audio feeds, Tuesday afternoon on YouTube. So we will see you then and there. Uh, be on the radio later today, of course, for the Hoffman Show. And again on Monday, uh, every day, 4 to 7 on the Team 980. I hope you guys have a great weekend and uh, enjoy the Red Zone since you don't have to watch the Commanders on Sunday.